0: We went down the street and I will never forget walking up begrudgingly at first, right? Mm
1: -hmm. But as
0: soon as we saw that family sitting on their front steps and just looking at the grief that they had, they just lost their mother and they had nothing for Christmas. They didn't have a Christmas dinner. They didn't have anything. Their mother had been sick and now she's gone. And we walked up and we gave them our gifts and I will never forget the look on that little girl's face, who was about my age, who opened up that doll. And the joy and the love that she had didn't replace her mom by any stretch of means, but it did give her the gift of love that she desperately needed that day. And each one of them were so grateful to us.
1: person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world, what are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Hey there and happy holidays. It's Barbara Heller. Welcome back to See One Beautiful Soul. Today my guest is Nancy Cleveland Driscoll, a holistic health coach, intuitive eating counselor, and fitness fanatic. She loves blues music and ice cream. Her passion is providing solutions to help people who need to sift through the emotions and trash talk and heal their grief of child loss, relationships with food, mindset, and body image so they can embrace their lives with joy. You can find out more about her and the programs that she offers for coaching at Nancy Driscoll, that's D as in David, R I S as in Sam, C like Charlie, O L L dot com. You can also find her on the Instagram at hello, find your sunshine. In January, you're going to see two new offers from me. There is going to be a membership that you will have open enrollment for called the Fireflyers. That's spelled with an F-L-I-E-R-S on Facebook. It's a private group and you can join and empower yourself, find uh, like-minded souls. Uh, Now remember, you can still find our two Facebook groups for this podcast. One is just See One Beautiful Soul, the podcast page. I'm also going to be offering two courses starting in January, my Find Creative Clarity, which you can find at findcreativeclarity.com. We're doing another round of that. There'll be open enrollment in January, as well as a new class that I'm offering called Speak Your Magic. And that is for anyone who has to give a talk in person, live, whether it's on the interwebs or if it's in person, like in a theater and your audience is just gonna be right there, right then, I can help you. So if you're looking to get more comfortable in front of the mic, whether it's audio audio plus visual just on Zoom. If you feel a little squeamish about getting up and talking in front of people, let me see what I can do. So find out more about that at barbheller.com. Don't forget, my book makes an excellent holiday gift, and I found out about that just by reading the reviews on Amazon. They're out there. I'm so touched. Thank you to everyone who put their two cents in about my book, and then One Day the World Coughed. That is the name of it. Please go ahead and grab it. You can also find me reading it in front of the camera uh, with some really fun sound effects. I put it all together on YouTube. Just look up, and then One Day the World Coughed, read by Barbara Heller, and you can see me reading it. And The whole reason I did that is so that you could pick up a copy yourself in the actual soft cover copy that you could have delivered to your door right now on Amazon. It's $8.99 a copy or send it to a family member and then go over there with your mask or without if everyone's been tested and everyone's negative for COVID, go over there and actually read it together and discuss it. And then if you can, do it in front of a camera and share your findings. I'd love to see videos of you guys sharing it together. That would be so awesome. And then send it to me and maybe I'll post it on our Facebook page or I'll hashtag you and I'll share it on my Instagram. Is that how you say it? Anyway, happy holidays, everybody. And now we're on to the episode featuring Nancy Cleveland Driscoll. This woman... Oh, my goodness! She is a thriver, not just a survivor i 'm so looking forward to getting comments on this episode because her story is unlike any other i 've ever heard and i I talk about it in the interview that she is she just seems so unscathed when she speaks, and you 'll see why, as soon as you hear her, thought it was just such an important story to share. There is another part of her story, which we may air at a later date, about her brother. As if the stories you're about to hear in this next interview are not enough, Nancy's brother was unfortunately taken down by terrorists. And you, you have to hear that story, or you can watch it in the movie as it's depicted in Black Hawk Down. She is just incredible. And when you start to hear her story, similar to most of the people we've had on, you'll say, oh my gosh, I if they can do that, I can, I can do my life. Thanks for listening. Happy Holidays everybody. Please send us your comments on these episodes. We love to hear from you. We get great fan mail. Please share these episodes with people who you think have similar stories or maybe going through or growing through something where they could really use these episodes to feel a little bit better, get some more encouragement, inspiration to keep shining, to keep seeing themselves and the rest of the world as one bright, big, beautiful soul. Hi Nancy Cleveland Driscoll. Hello, how are you, Barbara? It's so good to see your beautiful, shining face. I am wearing red, and you're wearing red, because it's the holiday season. I'm actually wearing red, green, blue, yellow. I've got everybody covered, and it's very tropical. My dress is tropical, because I'm in Florida, where it's 80 degrees. So, Oh,
0: my goodness. And I've got fleeces and layers on, because I'm up in Maine, and very cold. We're getting a nor'easter, so we're expecting some snow.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So I want to just begin with highlights from your life because I know a little bit about it and I keep encouraging you to write that book. I cannot wait till it comes out. We're going to post it all over our social medias when that happens. You are such a survivor and a thriver. That's like my new term because survivor sounds like, oh, I'm just, I just got up the mountain. But thriver is someone who survived something and is like taking people on ski lifts. And that's who you are. You show up for people. I've only known you less than a year. And in everything you do, you just give of your heart so effortlessly. And I have your tree thing right there. It's right behind me. I love it. I'm going to put it on my desk. Actually, I'm going to look at it every day. Anyway, you know, this podcast is about tools for living a life of freedom and forgiveness and how we deal with failure, the three F's. So Feel free to start with whatever you want in terms of how you grew up.
0: All right. Thank you for having me. Sure. So I I grew up in a very humble home, right? We did not have a lot of materialistic things, but we did have the love and the nurturing that we needed from each other. And there's one story in particular that I do want to share with you. And it happened at Christmas. And we did not have a lot of store-bought Christmas gifts. We would do acts of service for each other, and we would wrap those and put those under the tree. And as we unwrapped, my mother would tell us that those are the gifts that we're giving to God. And they were very special gifts. Well, one year in particular, she had an extra job, and she had told us early on that she was going to be able to afford to get a Christmas present for each one of us. Now I have three brothers, and we each wrote down one thing that we really wanted really bad. And she was going to do her best to to get us that gift. And on Christmas Eve, we were so excited because there were presents under the tree. There was one for each one of us. You know, as a child, you get excited about Christmas, number one, but number two, when you haven't seen wrapped presents under the tree before, it's a whole new world, right? I mean, it's the wrapping paper and the size of it and where it sits under the tree. And we each went up and we were shaking them. And do you think it's what we asked for? Do you not think it's what we asked for? And what if we don't get what we asked for? And who cares? It's a present. Oh my gosh, it was so exciting. And just all of those feelings that come with that And we went to sleep that night and we were very excited to wake up the next morning and we woke up and we rushed out. And a tradition that we had in our home was you would always eat a meal together before you went to the tree. And I think looking back, it's probably because we didn't have a lot of things under the tree and my mother was trying to stall things, right? But we shared a meal together. And after the meal, we went in and we each grabbed our presents and my mother stopped us from unwrapping them. And she said, I need to tell you something. And she, she looked like she hadn't slept much that night. She looked pretty worn out. And
1: let's hold there for a second. What did she do for a living?
0: So she was a computer operator at a county hospital. And she also had a newspaper route. And she also sold Avon. So she had all of those gifts. And order. she raised you by herself. You know, she had she had no child support from my father. So, in order to survive to feed us, you know, this is what she did. And it was what it was, right? So she um she stopped us from unwrapping the presents and she told us that something had happened the night before, that she had learned that a family right down the street, about four houses down, they lost their mother on Christmas Eve. And They had the same amount of children in their family that we had. And she told us that, you know, she worked hard to buy us these presents and she knew what they meant to us. But she wanted us to, she asked us if we would be willing to unwrap the present and experience the joy of having that, then turn around and wrap those presents so that we could walk down the street and give them to that family that had lost their mother, that that wasn't going to have a Christmas. Hmm. And uh, we usually have a Christmas dinner meal that's very special, you know? And we don't usually have sweets in the house and my mother would bake pies and cookies and cake. And, you know, we didn't often have meat and she made a ham and she just made it very special with what she prepared. And she saved for it all year, I know she did. And she told us that she was going to, as we were wrapping the gifts, She wanted to watch us unwrap them. And we're, you know, we're watching her cry as she's telling us this. And, you know, we know this family and they have one daughter and three boys in their family, just like we do. Initially, I have to say as children, we were not thrilled about this idea, but we trusted our mother. And so we unwrapped the presents and there was a feeling of, I really don't want to unwrap it because... It's not really mine anyways. It's for somebody else, right? And as we unwrapped our presents, they were exactly what we had asked for. And mine happened to be a Mrs. Beasley doll, which is just not a cute doll. She's, God bless her, she's ugly. But at the time she was special because this doll had glasses that were like my glasses. And so she looked like me. And she talked. And back in the day, talking dolls just weren't common. And so it was something special for me, right? And I couldn't even tell you what my brother's gifts were because I was so focused on what mine was. And I hugged the doll and my mom watched me and she was crying. And she said, it is just a doll. And the love that you give to that doll right now will be transferred to that little girl that you're going to give it to. And so I took my doll and I hugged it and I gave it a kiss and I put it in some wrapping paper and I wrapped it up as best as a seven-year-old girl can do, right? (laughs) And um, we had our presents wrapped and we were pretty solemn. My mom had gone in and she's like, okay, I'm going to go and grab all the food and we're going to give them our Christmas dinner as well. And we're just like, okay. Okay. We're kind of numb, right? Okay. We don't know what we're going to eat that night for for dinner, but by gosh, we're going to give them our Christmas dinner. And so she's boxing up the food and she's like, all right, let's go. And we went down the street and I will never forget walking up begrudgingly at first, right? Mm -hmm. But as soon as we saw that family sitting on their front steps and just looking at the grief that they had, they just lost their mother the grief that they had on their faces and looking at the father who just looked like, what am I supposed to do with these kids? And they had nothing for Christmas. They didn't have a Christmas dinner. They didn't have anything. Their mother had been sick and now she's gone. And we walked up and we gave them our gifts. And I will never forget the look on that little girl's face who was about my age, who opened up that doll And the joy and the love that she had didn't replace her mom by any stretch of means, but it did give her the gift of love that she desperately needed that day. And each one of them were so grateful to us. As we grew up and we would go back and visit my mom, those children were still living in that neighborhood. They had grown up too as well, but they had never forgotten that act of kindness. They had never forgotten that Christmas meal, and they'd never forgotten That gift that we had given to them, which at the time we didn't as children realize the importance or love that was wrapped up in those gifts.
1: Yeah. It's almost like in the moment of such pure grief that they felt where they lost their mother, who sounds like a wonderful mother, they were heartened to know that they didn't lose God. They didn't lose love. They just lost her. And clearly she never really left them because she sent you guys to them and you probably felt the way that you show up which is you, you know you started at 7 being an angel for people that's like what you do you can just tell them the way that you show up in the world the first time i heard you tell this story you mentioned something about the edifice the actual building that you lived in can you talk a little bit about what what your house looked like
0: absolutely and so our home was by all right it should have and it been condemned and it was after we as children moved out we lived in Arizona and there was no air conditioning. My mother would wet towels in cool water in the summertime where the temperatures would get to be 120 degrees, mind you. And inside it's even hotter, right? So she would get towels in cold water and we would literally wrap ourselves in these towels and wave them around in the air. There was no carpeting on the floor there was no tile most of the flooring didn't exist some parts it was just dirt some parts there were plywood where my mother had you know saved and earned and put plywood down and she wanted carpet really badly one year and we found a carpet dealership that would take their scraps and they would throw them away hmm. And my mother would collect those scraps with their permission. And she brought them home and she pieced together a carpet so that we could have a rug in our living room. It was rough. There wasn't a lot of extra money for curtains or for other things like that. my mother would go to fabric shops and get fabric and would make things. I remember as a young girl, I was invited over to a friend's house to spend the night. And I think it was the very first time that I realized that we were a little different. This girl had a canopy bed. It was the first time I'd seen a canopy bed in my entire life. And I think I was about 11 years old. And I I remember talking about it a lot. And my birthday was coming up. And my mother went to a lumber yard And she made cakes to exchange for the posts for the ends of the bed that were just raw pine and she painted them. And she literally made me a canopy bed just out of raw lumber that she bartered for. That to me was an unbelievable gift of love. Number one, she didn't have to to make a bed, but she gave it everything that she had. And one thing that I've learned through my life is that when we consciously seek and cultivate positive attitudes and gratitude, we begin to manifest magic and we can remake the world to be anything we want it to be. And the more that we do this, the more abundance that we see and we feel in the world. And the irony of it is that the more that you give, the more you receive, the more you radiate the joy and the love, the more that comes back to you. And I've seen that time and again in my life. And it's such a simple concept that I wished the world could just embrace it.
1: Yeah. Have you done that over and over again, where you get like a full gift of something and you give it back? to somebody else?
0: Absolutely. You know, that's one of the reasons I, I am so aligned with Servant's Heart, right? You serve with everything that you give. You serve back with everything that you receive. So every time I hold a program, I always make sure there's people in there with a free scholarship that can use it, that can't afford it. I always make sure to Offer people the opportunity to be seen and to be heard, to hold space for them. So they have the ability to be able to break through something that they're working on. It's so rewarding for me to be able to give back and to share that and to share my knowledge with other people to help them with what they're struggling with. It's a gift in and of itself is to receive that.
1: And where did your father go? Where was he?
0: So my parents were divorced when I was six years old and he came to live on the East coast somewhere. And so I never saw him after that.
1: Not one phone call, not one email, nothing. Nothing. Wow. Have you ever done research? Do you know if he's still alive or? He died at the
0: age of 54. He had a heart attack. I do know he was a Naval officer and um, as a young child, we traveled all over the place. He retired from that career and he became a school bus driver. And that, that's all I know. Wow.
1: And was there any abuse in your home?
0: So my mother struggled with a lot of things. She did not have an easy life as a child. And she certainly did not have an easy life as an adult. She had her own demons that she struggled with. And as a result of that, my brothers and I often kind of brought ourselves up. We were latchkey kids. So, you know, my mother was working nights and days and didn't have a lot of time at home. And so we were very independent about feeding ourselves from a very young age and getting ourselves to school on time and making sure our homework was done. We raised each other. We were each other's protectors and we looked out for each other. You know, we were our own parents to some degree because we had to be. My mother was in and out of relationships several times and she was married and divorced 52 times. 52 times.
1: Wait, actual married and divorce. How is that even possible? Trust me,
0: it's staggering. And it's staggering on the children that witness it as a revolving door in the home. I remember a lot of the faces, right? And the angst and the feelings that were surrounding each one. But she struggled her whole life to find love. And
1: Did she find it?
0: I think she did, but it's not in the manner in which she thought she would find it. Uh, Sometimes when we think that we're going to find love, we think it's in a spouse, in a mate, in a partner. Mm. That's not always the case, right? Sometimes you find love in serving others. Yes. And sometimes that love is just as sustainable as that with a partner. You ask, did she find love? I would like to say, yes, she did, because she served. She served the world with everything that she did. She always found herself helping somebody who was less fortunate than she was. I remember times when we didn't have new clothes for school, but she would go into a Walmart and, or Kmart and watch a mother struggling, and she would give her the money that she had so that she could buy food and put food on the table for their children. Wow. She had, I believe she found love, but I would say that she would probably say that she did not because she didn't feel like she found ever a partner to share love with. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So one such partner during my teenage years um, was a pedophile. And my older brother took the sexual abuse for me. And when he turned 18, he came to me and he said, I was 15. He's like, I can't do this anymore. He's like, you're about to graduate in a month from high school, he's like, I've arranged for you to marry this man, and in time, you will come to love him, and I'm I'm going to go join the military, because I I can't do this, and you can't stay here, it's not safe for you, because if you were, you would be next, he would come, he'd come after you, and so I trusted my brother, he was like a father figure to me, and I'm like, all right, if you say, say so, that's what I'm going to do, and at 15... <sighs> I I married a man and it was an abusive situation for many years. He never touched me in a physical manner, sexually. However, he beat the heck out of me, right? And anytime I was making a decision on my own or attempted to make a decision on my own to the point of even dressing in whatever I wanted to wear that day, I was eaten. So,
1: so it I, was physical. It just wasn't sexual abuse. Correct. Okay.
0: It was physical. Went through a lot, right? I had knives to my throat, guns to my head, and um, it was very intense. I was able to leave that situation and moved up north with family, and have never looked back.
1: And you left children. I did. How many children did you have with him?
0: So it was artificial insemination, and I was pregnant seven times. I had two children. The other five times, I was tossed downstairs or thrown into walls.
1: But your babies died basically because he killed them.
0: The longest term, I was at seven months. And so at the end of each situation, I would have to have a DNC done. And it was similar to having an abortion because they would cut the baby out of you. And so they would dilate you and it was um, extremely traumatic and extremely exhausting. And you go into survival mode and one of the things that helped me to get through that situation was serving other people. I was permitted to do that. And so I would make quilts for the homeless. I averaged about 15 quilts a year. And then I decided I, I wanted to do more. I did a lot of service. I would, was working in a soup kitchen, serving soup in a homeless shelter for probably about two and a half years. And I probably took Christmas, I had people drop things off at the house and I took Christmas to, to about 25, 26 families a year. We're talking trees and presents and food and the whole nine yards, as well as monetary collections that I obtained. I would literally get a neighboring scout troop with their pickup trucks to deliver the products because it was so much and um, they were families that were really in situations to where they couldn't provide for themselves. So
1: expensive. tell me about how you got out and if you still have a relationship with your kids. A man can't abuse a wife that brutally and the kids not know that it, it exists.
0: Exactly. So the kids are grown, right? And, as the kids grew up and left the home, the abuse started to get more severe, and the there's a cycle that literally transpires, and the cycle was shortening, which meant that the abuse was becoming more intense more often, and on one such occasion, uh, we were sitting. I was sitting on the sofa, and he was sitting across from me in a chair, and he had Mentioned to me what, you know, he was wondering what it would be like to, he was sharpening a knife, a buck knife. He was wondering what it would be like to peel the skin off of my arm and off of my body and while I was alive and just see like what that was like. He wanted to know what that would feel like for me and that's what he wanted to talk about. And... In my mind, you, you have so much going on inside, but on the outside, any time that you show any form of emotion, it triggers that person. And so um, very calmly, I'm t- talking to him, but as I'm talking to him, my eyes are looking at the door, which is quite a ways away, the front door, five locks on the front door, all of them locked. Shades are drawn. And I'm looking at the door, and he watches my gaze, and he looks at the door, and he looks at me, and he asks me, do you think you can make it?
1: Oh, my God.
0: And I said, I don't know. I don't know. And he's like, you can't, and you won't. I tried, and halfway across the room was the first time, and he picked me up, and he slammed me down on the floor. And I thought, okay, I'm halfway across the floor. I just have to go halfway. I can do this. So I waited for him to turn his back and I stood up and I bolted for the door. I had three locks unbolted and he reached me and picked me up and threw me on the ground. And it was tile floor. He's six foot four. I'm five foot three. He's quite a big guy. And then he kicked me with his boot three times once in the face and twice in the gut. At this point, I'm in a fetal position, and I have blood coming out of my mouth. And he said, that wasn't very smart, was it? Oh, my God. And I can see the phone across the room. And he's watching me. And he's like, who are you going to call? And he said, do you want to call 911? And I'm trying very hard not to cry. Mm. But I cannot help feeling this is the day I'm going to die. And... I said, yes, and he kicked the phone towards me, and I called 911, and they could hear what was going on, and I, they told me to hand the phone to him and get the hell out. And so I said, they wanna to talk to you, and he took the phone, and he turned away. And when he did that, I got up, I unlocked the door, and I started to run across the street. One of the neighbors was there when I met it halfway, And by the time I got to the neighbor's door, the police car was pulling up as he was coming out, and that's how I got out. I was put in a series of safe houses for years, and I was not able to to contact or reach out to my children again. I was put into a protection agency, and my names were, were changed seven times, and... He always found out who I was and where I was and made sure he let the court know. And he did that by demanding that whoever I was at that time, that name, that that person appear in the court hearing for the divorce. And so then they would change my name. So it was crazy.
1: So I have, have you been divorced from him or not?
0: I've been divorced for 12 years now. Yeah, 12 years. Took a while for the divorce to finalized. My children are grown. I have two grandchildren that I know of. I am not able to stay in contact with them. Because of him or because? Every time I try to reach out to them, things happen here. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to since find love and a family and security with everything that I've never had before. And I don't want to do anything to put my husband and his family at risk. So that's a concern of mine too, right? I have different post office boxes that have been kept for me to keep in contact with my children. So I send them from these dummy post office boxes if I want to send a Christmas card or a Christmas gift. But they can never send anything back in return.
1: And is there anything they can do to help you or are they too much in his power? So he has a lot of control and a lot of power. It just feels so unfair. And this is coming from a lady who has a podcast about forgive everybody, you know, but this is
0: one thing that I learned very early is life is not fair. You know, a fair is a place where you go and you ride rides and you have fun and you have cotton candy.
1: (laughs) Right? It's so true. Why is it called that? That's not fair.
0: (laughs) Right. But life is an opportunity to learn. And it's an opportunity to take what is given to you and to be able to turn it into gold. Right. To be able to be able to forgive, to be able to let that go so it doesn't influence how you live your life. Yeah, it was very hard for me the early years, you know, Mother's Day, Christmas, every day I missed with my grandchildren and my children. And when I think about it, it still saddens me. And I sit and I have a good cry. Yeah, but the truth of the matter is they're adults and they have their own choices to make. Right. And right now they're working for him. Oh, and so they've chosen. Money, right. They've chosen their treasure. And I don't know if there's anything on that end where they're being pushed or threatened either.
1: So I assume if he got his energy from tormenting you all these years, we are what we practice. If we practice being kind, we're going to turn into more kind beings. If we practice being harsh and hurtful to others, that's what we will be get better at. Practice makes permanent.
0: And so I chose to not live in the past Right. Mm -hmm. I chose to move forward in the future and there's pain there, but there's also comfort there. And the fact that I'm their mother is never going to go away. Yeah. And I know that if I don't get the opportunity to be with them in this life, I know I will in the next. Yeah. And as disheartening as that is, especially around the holidays sometimes. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: I feel those voids with service.
1: As a single person who's been praying for my soulmate for 20 years, I figured it out. It's been 20 years. I have also channeled that love that I have for him and my children, whether I get to have them in this lifetime or not into service. And that's why I'm doing this podcast right now, because I'm hoping even if we help one person's heart, one person has been affected by abuse, they could listen to this and feel hopeful. Nancy, you have such a way about you. I analyze people's voices. That's the other side of my work is doing voiceover and coaching people to find what they want to say, the content of it, but then also how they create and formulate the sounds of the words, whether they're singing it or speaking it or doing a TED talk. These are the things that I help people do. And I have been hard pressed to hear any sort of gravel of pain in your voice. It is so pure. You're like a Disney princess. You've been untouched, unscathed. And I know without even asking you that you have worked more on your soul's purpose than on your body's purpose because you are a pure soul. And the fact that you know that, and you knew that from a young age and you could withstand whatever was happening to the case Including your mind, because we're not our minds. We're not our personalities. We're not our accolades or what happens to us or how much money is in the bank. We are our soul. And when we connect to that purpose, like you said so beautifully, then magic happens. And it's almost like that's the best medicine for anything that might have hurt us. It's not that I don't get that you have pain. I'm sure that you have moments where you remember and you allow yourself to feel the pain, but you do it in such a beautiful way because. don't see you as walking around with any anger or judgment, and that is such a miracle. So how did you forgive these people in your life, your mother, for bringing in some interesting people into where you lived, your brother who meant well, but put you with this character who taught you so much. What are the steps you use to forgive these people?
0: You know, I went many years ago, and I think I've shared this with you before. When I was in that relationship, I went to some of my my heroes in life that I look up to are people who have been in such disparaging moments in time and yet have thrived. They didn't just survive because their mentality and their mindset would not allow that. They thrived. And I don't care what kind of a situation you're in. You can always look around and you can see somebody who has a worse situation than you do. Yes. And one such time when I was having a a bad day, a neighbor was having a yard sale. And I went over to look to see what they had. Mm. And I purchased a book for a quarter. And it was Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl. And I devoured that. He's a good one. Amazing. In that book, you will learn that one of the stories that he tells is that he watched somebody give up their daily bread from a concentration camp during the Holocaust. He gave his bread away. He needed it for his own sustenance, but he gave it and chose to serve someone else. And the biggest thing that I grabbed from that was it does not matter what your circumstances in life are. No one can take away the power for you to choose what you want to think and how you want to act in that situation. And that has gotten me through so many times of struggle. In my mind, even though my surroundings were chaotic, Mm. crazy, and disparaging, I flooded my mind with positive thoughts Yeah. when I couldn't think of them myself. I had, thank goodness for technology. I had apps on my phone and I remember literally just scrolling through and crying as I'm just reading 50, 75 of them a day, just trying to bolster that positive thought to be able to be in a position to where I could respond in a positive manner, regardless of what came my way. Yeah. And it's powerful, right? It is so powerful because when we realize that we have the opportunity to learn in this life, all this life really is, is a test.
1: Here's another good Holocaust survivor book.
0: Ooh, I haven't read it. I've got to. Life is oh, yeah. a test.
1: Reverendson Esther Young-Rice. Oh. And she just passed away not too long ago. And I had the privilege of learning with her, imitating her in front of thousands of people with her permission, dressing up like her (laughs) as a comedian, but like giving over her wisdom. It wasn't like an SNL character. It was actually to praise her. Um, But she was a little bitty thing and she always dressed like a princess. And she had many, many grandchildren. And I had the privilege of learning with three of her children in New York last year and the year before and working as a volunteer for her organization, Hanani, which means here I am. I love it. I want to tell you a really quick story, which I actually shared on the the second episode of this. But when she was in concentration camps in Bergen-Belsen, she had lice in her hair. And It would only be a few weeks later that she was liberated, but she continued to pray to God for miracles. Her father was a very well-known rabbi who's the chief rabbi of Budapest, Hungary. And when she left, she went from being in third grade to eighth grade, because that's how long she was in the camps for and also how smart she was. And she left and was married her husband, found love, found a whole life for herself, And just built her way back up and created incredible organizations and spoke all over the world. When George W. Bush was in office, he invited one woman to go on his plane. He invited three survivors and one of them had to be a woman. And he said, who is the best woman I can get to be on Air Force One with me to visit the renovated Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem called Yad Vashem. And he chose her as she was flying over Germany she realized that never in her wildest dreams could she imagine being on the United States of America, the president's air force, this tiny plane, just for a few people, you know, eating kosher meals that they have for her caviar and she's dressed to the nines and they're flying into Israel, which hadn't been a country in hundreds of years. And now Israel's a country and she's on the president's flight and she's visiting a Holocaust museum to rededicate it. I mean, Hitler would say over and over again, we're going to make museums of these people because they're not going to exist anymore. I wouldn't have been here. You know, like all of those survivors kept Judaism alive because in the camps, like Victor was saying, they practiced Judaism because they couldn't, he always said, they couldn't take away our thoughts. They took away our clothes, they took away our fillings from our mouth, they took away babies from people's bellies, but they couldn't take away the way they thought about what was happening. So, you know, you've said so many Jewish ideas so far, which one of them is that not only is life a test, which is the title of her book that I just showed you, but life is about growth, period. That's the title of one of our episodes with my friend, Danny Cohen literally that's it it's not just to to be a carnival like you said all right continue you were in the middle of a story but i was like i have to tell you this
0: (laughs) thank you for sharing that and you know it's not the only thing that we really have control over in this life is how we respond to different situations right right.
1: and the actions we make too it's like the thought and the action right
0: exactly such a blessing to have the knowledge right to have that knowledge such a blessing yeah there's there's so many opportunities that we have as humans and time is the real equalizer, right? Everybody is given the same amount of minutes, seconds, and hours every day. Mm. It's what you do with that time yeah, how you spend it and how you use it that differentiate us.
1: So I get that the beginning of this is realizing that these people, these four or five, six people, however you want to categorize them. I was just talking about the big three in the beginning of your life, but like the beginning of it is realizing they can't take my choices or how I deal with them away. But how do you actually forgive them? Like when their name comes up or a memory shoots out at you, how do you send them love? What is your process or do you have one?
0: I do have one. Okay. And so it is a four-step process.
1: Ooh, I love that. Is it one like trademarked by you or is it something that you kind of combine a few people or?
0: I have it written down. And so what I do is I say, I forgive you. Mm. So first of all, I write it down because I think there's power in the written word. Yes. And you have to understand that anytime you have a negative emotion, it can get trapped in the body. Yes, that negative energy can be trapped in the body. And that negative energy can keep you from reaching your full potential. Mm. Every time you hold a grudge against somebody, it is as if you're putting poison in somebody's drink, yep. that you are drinking it yourself. Yes, it is that harmful to you. And so I've worked really hard in my life to where I do it on a daily basis and I look at everything that's happened that day. And I kind of weed the garden, so to speak. Right. And so I say, I forgive you that. I mean, I release this from myself because it no longer serves me. Mm. I will no longer allow this situation to affect me. Mm. And the second step, I say, I'm sorry. Mm. And by that, I mean, I'm sorry that I held on to this
1: Mm. so long. Even if it's just five minutes or that day?
0: Even if it's just five minutes or that day. Wow. It will no longer be allowed to bother me. And I Mm. say it out loud, each one. I'm usually upstairs, away from everybody. And I say it. And if I don't feel it and mean it, I go back and visit again. And the next one I say is thank you. Thank you for this situation and this opportunity to learn from this. And the next thing I say to every stinking one of them is, I love you.
1: Ooh, wow. That's amazing.
0: And that is where the magic happens, right? Because love is the one thing in this world that makes everything happen. If you cannot send love to that situation, and if you cannot love that person, mm. regardless of what transpired, you're the one that's going to be suffering in the long run, right? Yeah. It, it stays with you. It remains a negative feeling with you. Now, to forgive does not mean that we forget what happened, right? I don't forget the terrible things that happened to me. Sure. And I didn't forget that somebody else was trying to control me. And I didn't forget the situations, but you can remember them and still forgive. You can remember them and still love. You wow. Find love in every situation. Every situation, you can find love. Wow.
1: Now, some people are going to listen to this and say, I'm sorry. I don't love my ex partner for slapping me across the face. And
0: I don't love the behavior. I do not. But I try to look at that person the way that God does and the universe, whoever you want to believe, (laughs) but we are all spiritual beings having a human experience. Yeah. And when they came to this earth, they came with gifts too. They're just choosing not to use them right now.
1: Right. Or in that moment. There's
0: potential there, right? There's potential in everyone. I believe that. It's what they choose to do.
1: And what would you say to somebody who is in a very abusive relationship right now listening to this? Stay with them and hang out and love them anyway because we don't want people to get no the wrong idea if, if no. that's not right. Okay.
0: I, I would say if somebody is listening to this and they're finding themselves in a situation right now, I would say to find your exit plan. Do not wait for things to go down, before you make a break for it, do not wait because you might not have the opportunity. Right. It is better for you to leave than for you to be six foot under because you have a light to share. Mm -hmm. You have a mission. And people need to hear your story so that they too can survive. You'll become a roadmap for someone else. Lean into your neighbor, confide in somebody you trust and start making a plan
1: to lead. Why do you think there are so many, I don't want to say men. I mean, there's women who are guilty of this too, but there are so many people who I hear this. I mean, people come to me with their stories whether we're on this podcast or not, probably because I'm not afraid to ask. And I'm also, I have a really open heart. I love to hear people's real stories. I don't know how to make small talk. So it was inevitable. I was going to have one of these, but I hear so many times like, uh, yeah, he beat me blind. And then I finally had the courage to leave. And, you know, I don't see my kids anymore. I took my kids, but we have to be under a different name. Or I have some access to my kids, but we share the kids and there's a restraining order against me. My brain can't wrap around the idea that there are guilty people with blood on their hands and they're just living these free lives. Like people just believe them because they're a police officer or they're a big lawyer or they have a lot of money. And so they're able to just live these really free lives and no one knows the wiser the few people that do are kind of like, yeah, but he's really wealthy. So, or she's really wealthy. So she still has access to her children. It's like, there's gotta be a way to like get these people to either go through intense rehab. So they change, but to, to be able to live so freely, it's so hard for, and then we have laws being lifted in certain States right now where yeah, pedophilia. I mean, it's kind of like just the new flavor of sexuality. What like this podcast is about forgiving people and it is about love and it is about trust and it is about moving forward and seeing everyone as one beautiful soul but it is not a place where people can say yeah like crimes who needs them and there's no such thing as right and wrong and everyone should do whatever they feel like doing and hitting people's great and rape no problem like i don't how do you figure that there are people still around like your ex-husband who get to just live as if they have no blood on their hands
0: So that's a really big question, right? And there's a lot of layers to it. So there's a lot of things in our justice system that have not changed over the years. And as a result of that, sometimes victims are not protected, right? And I really hate that term victim because I am not a victim. I refuse to be a victim. Yes. I hate it. I don't like that term and I don't hate many things. Victims are the ones that are put in the safe houses, that, you know, and I I can tell you a safe house is only as safe as those who keep it safe.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's still stuff that goes on in there because you have abused people coming in and abused people abuse others. And then you also have their codependency issues and maybe drug use. And I'm sure it's like a interesting- I was
0: fortunate enough when I was in safe houses to be the only one in that safe house. But I think the reason that transpired was because the first safe house I was put into, I was in there with a 23, 25 year old young woman. And it was just her and I. And in the middle of the night, a shotgun went off. And I bolted straight up out of bed. And there was somebody standing in the doorway. And I thought I had been shot. And I initially was, you know, trying to feel where it went. And then I heard the sounds in the bunk next to me. And he turned and he walked away and she died in my arms. And it, the court somehow leaked the information of where she was. He could have very easily have shot me too. He did not. So the system is, needs some help. Did he
1: get uh, incarcerated for what he did? He did.
0: He did. did. Okay. Absolutely, he did. Um, She did not make it. You know, and...
1: 23. Oh, my God.
0: Wow. The whole life ahead of her, right? And the behavior is not condoned. But when you send love to a situation that has caused you so much pain, it heals you. Mm
1: -hmm. And it
0: doesn't mean that you love that person. You send love to that person there's a difference right Mm -hmm. and by doing that you're able to heal yourself and you're able to take that scar inside of you and it covers it up
1: or maybe it lets it go it
0: it does it lets it go let god exactly it lets it go and gives it back to god right Mm -hmm. you've done your your part you've you've learned from that situation and you're giving it back absolutely.
1: Beautiful. I wonder if also in that moment, you know, you're looking at this 23 year old, you were 15 when you met your wrestling champion in the ring. And I wonder if in that moment, when you first met the 23 year old, you're like, Oh, I wish I had been this age when I got in here. And, you know, watching her pass away in your arms. I wonder if that moment gave you a new lease on life that it's never too late as long as you're alive to make a change it doesn't even matter how old you are like was that part of your It was.
0: you're very intuitive it certainly was you know and I was determined because I mean from the age of 15 to 45 right the age of 15 to 45 and I was determined that I was going to do things that I had never done before. I was going to live life, savor life, and enjoy it. I went skydiving. I went to a dance. I chose what I was gonna have off of a menu. I chose how I was gonna style my hair. I chose what I was gonna wear each day. And the memories don't leave you. You have the memories, right? You have the memories. It just makes every day that you're living so much richer. In so many ways, because you realize what you have and how grateful you are. Just to be alive
1: is a gift. To start again. So, what's one message you would say to anyone who has been through a tormenting experience under the care of a, of a tormentor? What would you say to them?
0: I would say, allow yourself the grace to heal, find somebody to talk to somebody that you can share the deep, dark things that are hidden inside journal, 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 your feelings, get outside and enjoy life.
1: And is there anything you want to promote or share?
0: Oh, thank you. So I have a podcast called Scattering Sunshine. I would love for your listeners to tune in. And for all of your listeners that are trying to start a business, if they're struggling to complete their business tasks, I have a free five-day challenge that is starting January 11th. I have collaborated with Brian of We All Create, and mine is Find Your Sunshine. So together we are Create Your Sunshine.
1: Oh, I love
0: that. We create your sunshine. So I would be thrilled if they would join in. That would be great if your listeners are interested in that.
1: Yeah. And do you have a book coming out?
0: I am working on it. I am. I am. So I'm excited about that.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully in the Fireflyers Club, you'll be doing more of that. We're about to get really big into that membership that I have. Thank you so much, Nancy. What a joy. What an honor. I just feel so enlightened and it's funny because we, we we did talk about some of these things in the summer when I was first getting to know you and maybe I just didn't hear all of it or I wasn't in a place to hear all of it in the same way, but I'm just blown away by your courage, your strength, your wisdom. And it's just remarkable like how you show up in the world and who you are. That is more remarkable than even telling your story is how unabashedly alive and enlivened you are and how you really live as though there's nothing holding you back.
0: You're here. There's there's nothing holding you back, right? Nothing. The only thing holding anyone back is yourself. Yeah. You can do anything you set your mind to. And if you are lacking the love, serve somebody else because that's where you're going to find it.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much. I want to wish you a happy holiday and a great new year in all ways. And I love you. And I'm so happy to be your friend and to have had you on. And this is going to be our Christmas episode. So I'm very excited.
0: Thank you. You bless my life. I love you.
1: Oh, you bless mine. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. I know you got to get back to your stuff. So Thank you, honey. And here are just some of our nuggets of wisdom that you may find in this episode. A little reminder, if you find another nugget of wisdom that we don't mention, please post it to our C1 Beautiful Soul podcast page on Facebook or on the community group page, which is called C1 Beautiful Soul, the podcast community. Nancy is a thriver, not just a survivor. She brings others to the light. The more that you give, the more you receive. The more you radiate joy and love, the more it comes back to you. When we consciously give and seek out and become gratitude, we can create magic and recreate the world to be anything we want it to be. Servant's heart. That means you serve back with everything you receive. Hold space for another and be seen and heard. Practice makes permanent. If we practice being kind, we'll get kinder. Alternatively, if we practice being nasty and mean, we'll get more of that. Our voice carries trauma and Nancy has worked so hard on her soul's purpose that she doesn't seem to carry her pain in her voice. What helps Nancy forgive others in her life is looking around at people who've been through similar and worse situations as she has and look for alternative choices and how to respond in the most inspiring ways to things that may happen to us. No matter what you're growing through right now, there is always, not too far away, someone growing through something even worse. Seek and you shall find and be inspired. Viktor Frankl, one of the most amazing and astounding authors who survived the Holocaust, also inspired her while she was going through a difficult time. And in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he says something along the lines of, The Nazis could take away our clothes, the fillings, and our teeth, but they could never take away our power to choose how we want to think or act in response to any given situation. She also appreciated the moment in Viktor Frankl's story when he said that he saw someone giving away their daily bread in the concentration camp to someone else, and she thought if he could watch someone give away their daily bread and be inspired by that, then for sure whatever she was given wasn't hers to own, but to also give away. Respond in a positive way to any situation that you're given, and you'll never regret it. Nancy's four-step forgiveness process is as follows. Write them all down, and then say them out loud. Number one, I forgive you. I release this from my body because it no longer serves me even if you were only holding on to it for a few minutes. Number two, I'm sorry that I held on to this and it will no longer be allowed to bother me. Number three, thank you for this situation and opportunity to learn from this. And number four, as hard as it might be, say out loud and write down the words, I love you. Love is the one thing that makes everything happen. When you send love to a situation which brought you so much pain, It heals you. It's never too late to make huge changes in your life, no matter how old you are. Nancy's message to anyone who has ever felt that they were tormented is, allow yourself the grace to heal and find someone, anyone, that you can share your most intimate stories with so that they are no longer a burden on your heart. And if you're lacking love, serve someone else because that's where you're going to find it. This episode was produced by Katya Soto. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure or freedom, please share them with us. If you learn something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. always.